Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to hear more from the FT, the FT Edit app gives you eight of the Financial Times' best stories handpicked daily by our editors. You'll get the perfect daily dose of expert opinion, surprising stories, and fresh perspectives from across politics, culture, business, and more. Start your free one-month trial today, then get your first six months for just 99p per month, currently only available on iOS. There's a link in the show notes. Previously on Hot Money, in the Netherlands, the government expelled two Iranian diplomats because of an assassination connected to the supercartel, while high-tech police hacked into the secret world of organized crime. This time, we're in New York. So we picked her up in a high-end vehicle. Uh, we were driven to, uh, to somewhere in Brooklyn. We stopped by a small restaurant. It was nice and, and simple. Angel's an international businessman. He arranges deals worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and his black book has contacts from all around the world. He's telling me about a meeting. It took place in New York in October 2014. One day around lunchtime, Angel drives over to the Waldorf Astoria in Manhattan. He picks up a woman who's flown in from abroad. She gets inside Angel's luxury car, and they start talking deals. I remember she just, once she uh, got comfortable, she opened up. There's something you need to know about Angel. He isn't your average international businessman. She already knew we were high-level drug traffickers, uh, probably multi-ton. We were drug traffickers from South America looking to launder their money. And the woman, she's a professional money launderer. Angel's been working with her for a while, figuring out ways to clean his cocaine money through various banks. All, of course, for a fee. When they arrive at the Brooklyn Diner, they order some food. And as they're sitting at the table, she takes out her phone and removes the battery. It's the sort of thing that someone does in a spy show to avoid being tracked or recorded. Yeah, that's very common, actually. We've, we've seen that plenty of times. Yeah, she was very security conscious. They talk for a while about money and drugs. And then the woman tells Angel she wants to talk about something else. 
Today, she's looking to buy something. High-end military equipment. Tons of it. It's a serious shopping list. She wants rocket-propelled grenades and sniper rifles and automatic weapons. Angel, well, he's clearly a well-connected guy. And she's wondering, perhaps he knows someone who can help her out. Luckily for her, he does. So, you know, at that time we had connections in South America. So we offered that. We offered them weapons and any type of weapon we could get from the military in South America. If you're looking for Russian weapons and stuff like that, you go to Venezuela. You're looking for American weapons, you go to Colombia. So we have that background, which I think helped us a lot. Laundering drug money is one thing, but it's quite another to just jump into an international arms deal. But Angel doesn't miss a beat. He just smiles. Because Angel isn't a drug trafficker. He's an undercover agent working for the DEA. He's wearing a wire, recording everything. And this woman at the Brooklyn Diner, she's about to tell him who her client is. And it will transform our understanding of how the European drug trade really works. I'm Mars Johnson, and from the Financial Times and Pushkin Industries, this is Hot Money, Season 2, The New Narcos. Episode 6, Ties with Tehran. Angel got transferred into the group and uh, almost immediately became a very productive part of the group. I said almost. <laughs> and to be more candid on that, I think uh, I was... a little time. No, no, no. I was having issues with, uh, with other groups, uh, the group I was in. I felt that they weren't aggressive enough. I just took to him because I immediately respected his work ethic. We shared an outlook on, uh, on how to go after our job. Setting up an interview with a former undercover drug agent isn't that straightforward. It takes a lot of planning and some convincing, a little bit of cajoling. Of course, Angel isn't his real name. During his career, he's infiltrated some of the most dangerous organized crime groups in the world. And former undercover agents, they have to be very careful about who they speak with. Because criminals, especially murderous cartel bosses, they can have long memories. But after quite a few phone calls, Angel agreed to talk to me on tape. Alongside him is his longtime DEA colleague, John Post. Like Angel, John worked in the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, for decades. And he's seen it all. We noticed that all the uh, all of your European traffickers like to go hang out in a place called Marbella, Spain. Marbella? 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 It's the haven of uh, the European gangsters. <laughs> you tell me, Miles, have you ever been there? <laughs> I actually lived in Spain for four years. I was reporting there for the FT. And it turns out I was there at the exact same time as the Kinahans, who were in Marbella, although I hadn't heard of them back then. Anyway, I wanted to talk to Angel and John because I think they can help us figure out the connection between two things I've learned during my reporting. First, we know the Iranian regime ordered the assassination of Ali Muhammad in the Netherlands in 2015. And second, the man who arranged the murder, he was found in a flat belonging to the Kinahans the Irish family at the center of the Dubai super cartel. John and Angel now work with a private security company called Albatross Consultants. But they used to work out of a DEA field office in Newark, New Jersey. 
Until 2018, John was in charge of complex investigations into the nastiest international criminals you can imagine. And Angel was the guy who was sent in undercover to infiltrate these groups and win the confidence of notorious gangsters and then gather the evidence needed to take them down. He retired a few months ago. For some reason, ever since I was a kid, I knew I was going to be a DEA agent. Uh, I don't really know why. I think I must have seen it in the movies or something. I was in junior high school and I remember actually telling a friend of mine that I was going to be a DEA agent. Once he gets the job, it's not long before Angel goes undercover. And he quickly learns the tools of the trade. How to talk, how to dress, how to walk. One of the things that I learned was actually watching people on the street or people in that environment, right? If you go into a corporate world, you cannot dress like a schmuck, right? If you're going to be in the street, you cannot show up with a three-piece suit. It's common sense, right? So you have to know where you're going into and try to fit the part, number one. Number two, the other important thing, obviously, is that your safety and in worst-case scenarios, in case something happens, it goes tits up, you have to have a plan to survive the situation. The rest is just you being charming, using your personality. And in those early days, he hones his craft. He spends hours listening to the tapes of previous operations. I've made mistakes in the past where I listened to recordings of what I was doing and I just rolled my eyes at myself. And I think I learned a lot from it. And he gets good, very good. Angel becomes a critical part of how John's unit works their major criminal cases. John starts up an operation by targeting someone in the middle of the hierarchy of a top crime group. He figures out exactly where to begin by talking to his network of sources, their informants he's developed over the years. The first target needs to be big enough and scary enough to be moving in the right circles. If you're dealing with some dude that's the best dope deal he ever did in his life was a kilo of coke, you're not going to be able to do a thousand kilo case with him. You'll be able to do maybe a five kilo case. And that's stretching it. But as you move up the ladder with higher level targets, you get higher level informants. And your higher level informants get you into the top level of the sophisticated organizations. I'm talking high credentialed confidential sources who go way back in the drug world. And uh, their credibility has been well established. So... When that person walks through the door with Angel, that's half of the job. Once Angel's been introduced, he has to do more than just look the part. He has to withstand any tests that challenge his credibility as a serious criminal. You want to see the cocaine? I'll show you the cocaine. If you want to go see the laboratories, I'll show you the laboratories. It can be worked out. And at the same time, Angel needs to gather the evidence that's needed to build a case. It's the critical skill for any undercover agent. Every law has different prongs that, that need to be met for the person to be convicted of it. Did he have knowledge? Did he know it was drug money? Whatever it may be. As an undercover, if you have a good relationship with the prosecutor, I know exactly what prongs he needs to have met so he can feel comfortable making a charge. So you can be glamorous about it and spend your time wasting your time, really. What, you know, if you're just shooting the shit with the guy, right, drinking or whatever you're doing, but you're not addressing those prongs. Finally, there's the sting. And when John sends Angel in, he's always close by with a backup team. He's always got a danger signal or, you know, a way to let us know if something's going bad and, and we're ready to react. And uh, I have been in situations where, yeah, that signal's giving. And the one particular one I'm talking about was uh, an undercover 
in uh, a projects in a very tough area. And they actually said, don't kill me. I have kids. And that wasn't the danger signal. <laughs> that was that was letting us know that there was a gun on him. And like we within seconds, we were there. And he had a gun pointed at him in the car. And we were able to extract him. The bad guy, Target, dropped the weapon when he saw four cars converge on him. But, you know, like I said, everything else stops when there's a risk to the undercover and boom, the priority is getting the safety of the undercover, getting him out of there and, you know, making the arrest. I mean, there's situations where I've been in basements. Uh, in retrospect, it was so stupid, you know, meeting some ye guys from Yemen and the basement is dark. There's nobody there. I know if I was wearing a transmitter, no one could hear me because I'm deep in a basement, and, you know, and uh, I'm like, Jesus, I could easily get chopped up. Oh, in was here. that over in Brooklyn? Yeah, I was in yeah. Brooklyn. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that, uh, that was a little hairy. In, in re retrospect, right? So yeah. was an undercover assignment worth that risk, right, for that prosecution? What's that case that important that you're putting your life on the line? Uh, John has had a lot of uh, background with Mexican cartels and Colombian drug traffickers. And um, some of them are killers. They, once they get to know us, they love us. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but they're killers. You know, we joke about it. It's, oh, such a great guy. Well, he's a killer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that happens quite often. Over the years, John and Angel forge a formidable partnership, working around the world targeting top gangsters. Their unit in Newark becomes one of the most decorated in the whole of the DEA for bringing in a slew of major cases. Angel even wins DEA National Agent of the Year. One time, in 2008, they get a tip out of Panama that an Irish gang is looking to source a huge shipment of cocaine. Said, hey, these guys want, what, 3,000 kilos? I think it was yeah. 3,000 kilos, man, you know? And like, okay, let's go meet them, boom. Send them down. Uh, what they were asking for was 100% on the money. 3,000 kilo load. And uh, they were asking us to transport it. That's 3,000 kilos, three tons, paid for entirely in cash. At street value, that quantity could sell for hundreds of millions of euros. Based on the intel we developed later, we're pretty sure it was the Kenahans that we were introduced to. And they weren't blowing smoke, they were, they were for real. Yeah, they're heavy, they're heavy hitters. This 2008 run-in with the Kinahans in Panama, it happened back when Christie was living in Marbella, two years before Operation Shovel. It's never been reported before, and it just confirms to me how big they were, even back then. Yeah, but they slipped through our fingers. We didn't get them. Yeah, just get away. We might come back. <laughs> now you tell us they're in Dubai, huh? <laughs> but I want to tell you about another one of John and Angel's sting operations. It's one that sheds a whole new light on the booming European cocaine trade. A story that took place in 2014, when they were with that money launderer in a small Brooklyn restaurant. And things took an unexpected turn. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. 
whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase. Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. You know, when we do a money laundering case, it just splits in different ways, like the trunk of a tree, really. You could take one branch, you have money laundering. You take another branch, drug trafficking, weapons trafficking. There's always other criminal activity associated with that one crime. So this split into the Kobayashi case, and um, by chance, he happened to be coming to New York at the time. The Kobayashi case. It's October 2014, and John and Angel are deep into a multi-country investigation. It started in the Dominican Republic, where they busted a gang trying to ship a thousand kilos of cocaine into Belgium on a private plane. And after following the leads from that case, a new target's come into view. Her name's Iman Kabezi, and she's a Lebanese woman in her late 40s. She has dark black hair, and she wears expensive clothes. And she's a professional money launderer who works with cocaine traffickers in Europe. Angel, working undercover, has been cultivating her for months. Well, we got into a source. We have eventually met her uh, through sources, and we were able to have a meeting with her. During the meeting, we struck up a, a great relationship uh, myself and another person went out to dinner, lunch. We met in different countries. Um, we developed the personal relationship as time went on. Angel gets close enough to Kabezi to feel comfortable planning a sting. The first thing is to set up a meeting. One of the DEA's informants tells her that they're expecting a large cocaine shipment to come through Belgium and want to discuss how to launder the proceeds. And that's no problem for Kabezi. 
she's able to move large amounts of cash anywhere in the world for a fee of 20%. Cabezi travels to New York. She's staying at a fancy hotel, the Waldorf Astoria on Park Avenue. Angel fixes up a lunch meeting so they can discuss business. So we picked her up in a high-end vehicle. Uh, we were driven to, uh, to somewhere in Brooklyn. We stopped by a small restaurant. Angel knows John is nearby, listening to the wire, and ready to jump in if anything gets out of hand. You're not picking up everything, just to be honest with you. It's, it's uh, grainy, there's background noise, he's in a restaurant. You, you know, you're listening for key safety elements. At the table, it's clear to Angel that Cabezi's a serious player. She says, if he wants, she can arrange for planes containing multi-ton shipments of cocaine to land in Africa for him on their way to Europe. They pause for a moment and order lunch. I was some sort of American food, like something with f- fries. It, was, it wasn't anything. Ask him how much he drank. <laughs> I drank a lot, though. <laughs> no, what, just, what brand did you drink? Um, you shouldn't do tequila, but the high-end tequila <laughs> on ice. Don Julio. Don Julio or Don better. Julio. John's kidding. Angel wasn't drinking on the job. And it's a good thing he wasn't, because suddenly, Cabezi throws him a curveball. So she, after we had established a relationship through the money laundering side, then she requested our assistance in getting weapons. She wants him to help her source military-grade arms and blueprints for heavy weaponry. She needs a lot of them. In fact, she says her clients looking to buy as much as possible. They need everything. And she suggests a code word for the deal. Fireworks. It's not the most subtle choice, I know. Now, this isn't entirely out of the ordinary for Angel. Drug traffickers, or they like big guns. So, I mean, we didn't miss a beat. You know, I think uh, that's another thing with the people that were there doing the meeting, the experience level that we had. We, were, we jumped right on board, right? We quickly pulled our military connections in South America. Usually drug traffickers, like many other places in Latin America, um, they have high connections to the military. In many countries, it's actually the military that's unloading the drugs from the drug shipments coming in from the drug traffickers. And Angel knows that if needed, his confidential sources can make it look authentic. We're ready to produce generals. We're ready to prove who we are. We're ready to show you the weapons. Whatever we need to do, we have that experience where I know I can pull up a general if I need it in Latin America somewhere. I know I can put a shipment of weapons together if I need it. At this point, Angel's lunch at Cabezi is paying off big time. They've got way more in play now than just money laundering. And then, suddenly, she stops the conversation. Look, she says, I'll be very transparent. Angel's playing it cool and nodding his head. He tells her, now is the time to be straight with one another before they jump into an international weapons conspiracy together. And then she drops a bomb. The people she wants to buy the arms for it's the Iranian government. I remember my jaw dropped. I actually remember looking at a camera that I had. <laughs> I looked at a camera that was a, that was looking at me. I'm like, <laughs> just making a face, um, just for myself. You know, sometimes you pretend you're on TV or something, but you can't believe what you're hearing. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. 
This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. So here's where we are. Angel's in a Brooklyn restaurant, sitting opposite a woman who wants him to help her smuggle weapons for Iran. He has to try and stay cool, but this is a huge deal. What started out as a money laundering case has turned into something much bigger. That was a great moment, actually. Um, just surprised, extreme surprised, you know, that I didn't know right from the beginning we were going to hit a home run. And there's a reason why someone like Kabezi would be trying to buy guns on behalf of Iran. Until Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Iran was the most sanctioned country in the world. It's been under US sanctions for more than 40 years, since the 1979 revolution, when over 50 Americans were taken hostage at the embassy in Tehran. Since then, there's been wave after wave. There are response to things like Iran's involvement in terrorist attacks around the world and its nuclear enrichment program. Sanctions are a way for Western governments to punish the regime by cutting the country off from the global financial system. It means that mostly, it's illegal for American companies to do business with critical sectors of the Iranian economy, things like banking and shipping and oil. So it's inflicted a major cost starving the country of foreign investment and blocking imports of Western technology. They can't just go and buy things on the open market like other countries. 
All of this means they have to come up with elaborate schemes to circumvent the sanctions to get the things they want. It also means that doing business with Iran, it can land you in extremely hot water. But that's exactly what Kabezi is hoping Angel might be willing to do. She says they're looking for some serious kit. They want 250 Chaytak M200 sniper rifles, which are capable of killing a target from two kilometers away. They want 500 M4 assault rifles, and they want blueprints for what she calls heavy weaponry. She starts telling Angel about her high-level contacts in the Iranian government, and that he can meet with them to discuss specifications. They can meet in Cyprus or the UAE. They're already planning on how to get the weapons into Iran. So when she starts talking about details of Iran, Kish Island, etc., and what her plan is, then uh, it was it was a it was a, it was a surprise. Let's put it that way. Kish Island is a free trade zone on an island off the south coast of Iran. It's a regional tourism hub, but Western governments say it's overflowing with smugglers and organized crime. Kabezi tells Angel that she can get him diplomatic clearance to land a plane full of weapons there. I don't know if she actually mentioned the Quds Force, but the military or government personnel will actually unload the weapons. The Quds Force is the wing of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard that's responsible for overseas operations. It's sort of an Iranian equivalent of the CIA combined with special forces. It's all quite a lot to process, but Angel, he's just nodding along. He tells her he lands planes on secret airfields all the time. This is already pretty big. But then she brings up yet another business opportunity. The drugs and the weapons, she tells Angel, they're good. But if they really want to make some serious cash, they need to source spare commercial airline parts from Boeing. Now that might sound a little odd, but plane parts, they're unbelievably difficult to source for a country that's been under Western sanctions for decades. And parts for Boeing planes, you can't just swap them out for some other brand. Kabezi tells Angel that her Iranian contacts are saying they have 15 planes that need new parts, and they're willing to pay top dollar. Too much money, she says. Billions. Obviously, she was in this world. She was hooked up with the military. We happened to get lucky, I guess. After the meeting, Angel and John track Kabezi for several more months. When they hear she's due to fly into Atlanta, Georgia, they decide the time's come to bring her in. She's arrested. So let's pause it for a minute and go back over exactly what's going on. We have a money launderer who moves cash for cocaine traffickers through Europe, and she says she works for the Iranian government. She's offering top diplomatic clearance from Tehran to land weapon shipments on islands, and she's also trying to find a way around Western sanctions on things like plane parts. There are lots of people in the murky world of drugs and weapons who claim they have high-level connections in governments, it makes them seem more credible. So what I want to know is just how serious she really was about the arms deal. Just how connected she really is in the regime. In the court files for her case, US government prosecutors say that her actions are, quote, hallmarks of a person who's a professional arms trafficker, not a first-time neophyte. But that doesn't really answer my questions. I tried calling her American defense attorney from the time, but they said they couldn't contact her for me. According to multiple sources I've spoken to, in the face of all the evidence Angel and John had gathered, Kabezi pled guilty to charges of providing material support to a foreign terrorist organization, conspiracy to launder drug money, and conspiracy to provide illegal weapons. But then I discovered something. 
It was something that completely changed my understanding of who Aman Kabezi is. It shows that she wasn't exaggerating about her top-level contacts in Iran. What I didn't know, and what's never been reported before, is that US authorities believe Kabezi was a close associate of a man called Abdullah Safi al-Din. And he's a very big deal in Iran. In fact, US intelligence believe Kabezi was previously married to Safi al-Din. I've confirmed it with five former officials from several different countries. She even told investigators herself about the marriage. Safi al-Din, he's the Tehran-based representative of Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed Lebanese political party and militant group is designated as a terrorist organization by the US, UK, Germany, and many other Western governments. Hezbollah is Iran's most important proxy military force. That's a way for a country to fight armed conflicts against its rivals through a third party or a militia that it sponsors, but without getting directly involved itself. And that makes Safi ad-Din one of the most influential people in Iran. And he's still in Tehran today, and regularly appears on state television, meeting with people like the country's foreign minister. I was first told about Kabezi's connection to Safi al-Din by a source off the record, so I spoke with several more people who had direct knowledge of the case in different countries. It's not easy to find people who are willing to talk about this sort of sensitive stuff on the record. But I did find one person. His name's Udi Levy, and he's a retired Israeli spy. Udi's the former head of the Mossad's Economic Warfare Division, a unit that tracked money secretly being moved around the world by Iran, Hezbollah, and others. He spent 35 years in Israeli intelligence and worked on the country's National Security Council. And I asked him, what did he know about the Yaman Kabezi case? Uh, what they didn't publish, and if you ask me, it was most of the sensitive issue in the first time, is the real connection between the highest level in Iran to that case. From that point of view, it was a very sensitive and the European country afraid to blame directly the highest level in Iran and Hezbollah in their involvement in that case. Iran and Hezbollah are sworn enemies of Israel, and the Mossad spends a lot of effort tracking the activity of their senior officials. And Abdullah Safi al-Din, he's been a person of interest to people like Udi for a very long time. Oh, Abdullah Safi al-Din is, uh, I think he's today number three or number four in the Hezbollah leadership. He was uh, Hezbollah attaché, if we can call it like that, in Iran, and the, the main connector between uh, Iran and Hezbollah, very, very senior, a lot of influence, involved directly in the decision-making uh, in Hezbollah, well, well connected to the Iranian directly. I think it was the highest level in that system, the dealing with drug trafficking, with the full knowledge of the other leaders of the Iranian and Hezbollah. Udi's saying that this is not your average diplomat. He's more like royalty. Safi al-Din is the brother of Hezbollah's second-in-command and a cousin of its top leader. His nephew's married to the daughter of Qasem Soleimani, the infamous Iranian commander of the Quds Force, who was killed in a US missile strike in Iraq in 2020. Basically, Safi al-Din is one of the most well-connected men in the Iranian regime, 
But for John and Angel, his connection to Kobezi was just another detail in a case that took an unexpected turn. Yeah, it didn't mean much to us. It meant, meant more to our headquarters people. We're, we're, we're uh, field investigators. We're out in the street going after targets, gathering evidence. We didn't know she was married to or hooked up that well until she brought it up. Right, It was her idea to bring up this weapons trafficking thing and trying to court us to supply weapons. Was she significant? Yeah, she was significant. She pled guilty to material support of terrorism. And that's you don't get a charge like that every day of the week. But there's something else that seems to me even more significant about this case. Safi al-Din is accused by the U.S. government of being a mastermind behind various sanction-busting schemes. According to the U.S. Treasury, he's the person who acts as an advisor to Iran on financial matters. They say he worked with Iran's central bank to move hundreds of millions of dollars to avoid American sanctions. And we know that Kobezi, she wasn't just laundering money through Europe's cocaine trade. She was trying to circumvent U.S. sanctions too. She was trying to source weapons and vital industrial components. I've tried to track down Kobezi to ask her about all of this, but she's disappeared. She served several years in a U.S. prison, and then she vanished. I spoke with other people involved in the case, and they couldn't tell me where she is now either. Some told me they thought she was back in the Middle East, but I haven't been able to find her. But now, I've found an indirect connection between one of the most powerful officials in Iran and drug traffickers in Europe. And this brings us right back to where we started this investigation, the long arm of Iran. So here's what we know. According to the Dutch government, the Iranian regime ordered the murder of Ali Muhammad in the Netherlands in 2015. It was the targeted assassination of a man living under a false identity, a man who was near the top of Iran's list for revenge after he carried out a huge terrorist attack in the early 1980s. Finding him and then assassinating him in the heart of Europe, it would have required high-level intelligence and authorization, someone at the top of the Iranian government. And we know that the man who arranged the murder, he was being protected in a Dublin flat belonging to the Kinahans, the Irish family at the center of the Dubai supercartel. John and Angel, they discovered that money laundering connects cocaine traffickers in Europe with officials in Iran. So could that explain what connects the Kinahans to the assassination of Ali Muhammad? That's what we're going to find out next time. And we'll meet a U.S. attorney who's digging deeper into the Kinahan money machine. It became clear to me as a prosecutor that what they were doing is they were using the fighters as a way to move money through the system. Hot Money is a production of the Financial Times and Pushkin Industries. It was written and reported by me, Miles Johnson. And if you've got any leads or information about this story, you can email me at newnarcos at ft.com. The series producer is Peggy Sutton. Edith Russelo is the associate producer. Fact-checking is by Arthur Gompertz. Engineering by Sarah Bruguer. Sound design from Jake Gorski. Jeremy Wormsley wrote the original music. Our editor is Sarah Nix. And the executive producers are Jacob Goldstein and Cheryl Brumley. Special thanks to Laura Clark, Alistair Mackey, Breen Turner, Raya Jalabi, and David Fuchs.
Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.